We're going to talk about Nehemiah. Two weeks ago, I started a lesson on Nehemiah because it is a book about building. In fact, it's a book about rebuilding, and that's what we are doing. And so I thought, what an appropriate book for us to study. Now, I'm going to review some of this because it's been two weeks since we looked at it. But um, one of the things that I think helps is if you can see where a book of the Bible fits in the scheme of time uh, historically, especially a book like Nehemiah because it's a historical book, and some people don't understand that the Bible is not laid out chronologically. And so I found this chart online. I did not make this, but uh, it shows the Bible laid out in chronological order. It's very interesting if you look at it because you've got Genesis and Job. Most people think that Job was one of the earliest events, and yet it's laid out in the middle of the Bible. You've got Exodus and Leviticus that uh, run the same period of time, Numbers and Deuteronomy, Judges, during the uh, several hundred years of the period of Judges, Ruth is a story within that time period. And then you've got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. That's really the period of Saul and David and Solomon. And you can see that during that time you've got First and Second Chronicles. And First and Second Chronicles is really a restatement and accounting of all of these things. And during that period, like while David is king, he's writing Psalms. And so you've got Psalms here. And then you can see the prophets are laid out um, con contemporary with the book where they were. So Amos and Hosea, they were prophesying to the North Kingdom. And so they're covered in First and Second Samuel. You've got the South Kingdom, the Southern Kingdom, uh, prophesying to Judah. And then you can see, well, you can see it. Then we've got the captivity, 70 years. During the captivity period, we've got Daniel and Ezekiel. And then you've got the return. You've got Ezra and Nehemiah. And then you've got three prophets that were uh, taking place uh, or preaching during that time, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And the book of Esther actually is in the same time period as Ezra. And so I think to see it that way is very helpful. Now, this timeline I actually made up myself, and so uh, hopefully I got this laid out uh, properly. But this gives you a timeline to see where Nehemiah fits. I've got it right at the beginning where you start with the, uh, the kingdoms. You've got the United Kingdom, which would go before the chart starts, and then the kingdom divides in about 931, the, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom, because they are more wicked, go into Assyrian captivity in 722. The Southern Kingdom, the Lord allows to last longer because they're not as wicked. And then they go into Babylonian captivity starting in 607. For 70 years they are in Babylon captive. Now you can see that Nebuchadnezzar is the king during a great period of that time. But there were some other kings, Belshazzar and Cyrus and Darius. I didn't put all of them on there. But um, you can also see Daniel is one of the prophets. And Daniel lived a long time. Daniel started before the captivity and he goes until after the captivity. One of the kings, Cyrus, he becomes the king in, um, let's see, I've forgotten the year. I thought I put that in my notes here. Uh, doesn't matter. He became the king and in 538 
he decides he's going to release the Jews from captivity and allow them to go back home. And so what you have is a period in which the Jews start going back home. There's three periods of return. You've got the first period in which they go back and build the temple, and then you've got some that go back and restore the law, and then finally those that go back and build the wall. This is a long period of time because you can see that Zerubbabel goes back to build the temple. That starts in 537. Then you can see Ezra goes to build the law or to return, restore the law in 458, and then Nehemiah goes to rebuild the walls in 445. And so when you've got three key figures there after the captivity, and that is Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah takes you to the end of the Old Testament. And then there's 400 years where we have no history, no, no biblical history. And then the New Testament starts. So I think that's helpful to see that. And um, let's see, I, wanna, I actually want to finish this today. So uh, what ends up happening is Nehemiah is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah comes in and he is sad. And King Artaxerxes says, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? And he says, my people back in Jerusalem, they're struggling. They're having a hard time. And King Artaxerxes really has good feelings toward Nehemiah. And he says, would you like to go back? I'll let you go over there. I'll let you take care of things. I'll let you rebuild the wall. In fact, I'm going to send you letters with my authority and assistance. And so Artaxerxes is very helpful to Nehemiah in all of this. Let's see, let's pick up uh, where we were. Nehemiah 6.15, in fact, if you back up, um, in Nehemiah 2.13, when Nehemiah first gets there, he rides around on some sort of beast of burden, a donkey or a camel or something, and what he sees is it is a disaster. The wall is just piles of rocks, and he's there to build a wall around the city. What are you going to do with this? It is such a mess. But when you get to Nehemiah 6.15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. This is, this is what's amazing. They had this tremendous project, and they did it in 52 days. Now, how did they do it? There are some things we can learn about building. There's some things we can learn about growing. The first thing that we noticed two weeks ago was they had participation. In Nehemiah 4 and verse 6, he says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Now listen, for the people had a mind to work. If we're going to grow, if we're going to accomplish things, then we've got to work. And I think that we've got a good group of workers here, and that is very, very encouraging. I think we're going to grow. I think this congregation is going to prosper, and I think really good things are ahead of us in the future. Now, when you keep reading some of these verses, Nehemiah 3 and verse 12, it says, And next to Shalom was the son of Halahesh, leader of the district. He and his daughters made repairs. So what we see is families worked. We see the women were working. We see his daughters were working. You see in Nehemiah 3 and verse 20, it says, Zabai, uh, the King James, or New King James says, carefully repaired a section. The Old King James says, earnestly. 
This carries with it the idea of zeal. That is, he's working on the wall and he is zealous. He is serious. How did they do this in 52 days? They were working. That's what's ahead of us. If we're going to grow, we are going to have to work. We're going to have to be serious about this thing. Then, chapter 3 and verse 5, at the bottom uh, of the left-hand uh, scriptures, it says, But the nobles did not put their shoulders into the work. You know what that means? Some of the rich aristocrats, they thought, oh, we're too good for that. And so they didn't work. They still got it done in 52 days, but you had some people that didn't work. What are we supposed to learn from that? There are going to be people who can, can uh, not help, that can drag us down. We don't want any of those people. I don't think we have any aristocrats anyway, right? All right, keep going, and what do you see? Secondly, they accomplished this because of perspiration. You can see I tried to start all these with the P, and I tried to build the PowerPoint so I'm building a wall as I go here. I guess you, you might have figured that out. So first there was participation. Secondly, there was perspiration. I thought about that for a long time. Do I want to make one of my main points of the sermon perspiration, sweat? But the point that I was making with that, of course, is that they were working hard. In fact, Nehemiah 4.21 says, So we labored in the work. If you think about them taking these piles of rocks and moving uh, massive piles of rubble and mixing and carrying mortar and maneuvering heavy stones into place, they're going to be filthy. They're going to be sweating. This is hard, hard work. What's the point for us? Listen to this. Luke 13, 24 says, Strive to enter the narrow gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. The Christian life is not easy. You've got to really work. And I think a lot of people want to come to church, and that's just something that they do once a week or twice a week or whatever, but Christianity is not something that they really put their, their uh, head to the grindstone and really work on this thing. That's what we've got to do. We've got to work. Second Peter 2 and verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure, and if you do these things, you will never stumble. What's he say? Be more diligent. You've really got to be serious. If we do that, this church will grow. I've been talking to Rob Whitaker about coming and doing an um, evangelism sem seminar for us because what we want to do to grow is to convert people. We don't want to just see if we can glean people from other churches and see how many people we can get. What we want to do is convert people who are lost people. And I think we're going to have some great opportunities when we get into our new location. All right? Participation, perspiration. The third one is cooperation. Now, this is a very interesting point. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 4 says, So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears. Verse 16 says, So it was that from that time, Half of the servants worked at construction, the other half held the spears and the shields and the bows, and they wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. What does this mean when they said half of the servants were working on construction, and then half of them are holding spears and bows and wearing armor? What's going on with that? Okay. 
Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobiah is these guys. They are leaders who are Gentiles in that area, and they hate them. They do not like to see the Jews coming back and building their city and putting this wall up, and they're threatening them. And so what happens is some people are out doing their various tasks, building the walls. Some people are stacking bricks. Some people are stirring mortar. And then some people are standing around with their bows and their swords, and they're ready to fight just in case something happens. The point here is it was a cooperative effort. In fact, I want you to listen to this. This is chapter 3 and verse 21. It's an interesting passage, and you could miss this. It says, next to Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, hung its doors. They built it as far as the towers of the hundred and consecrated it as far as the towers of Hananel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. Next to them was Zachur. Look at verse 4. And next to them was Merimoth. Look at verse 5. Next to them was the Tekoites. Look at verse 7. Next to them was uh, Melatiah. Verse 8. Next to them, Uziel. Look at uh, continuing in verse 8. Next to him was Hananiah. And I can't even read that one. That one's too, um, too small for me there. Uh, next to them, let's see here. I can cheat and do it this way. Uh, they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Verse 9, next to them was Rephaim. Uh, verse 10, next to them, next to him. Verse 12, next to him. Verse 16, after him, Nehemiah. Verse 18, after them. What's the point of this? The point is they are working together side by side. You would have a family and they're working on this section of the wall. And right next to them, you've got another family and they're working on that section of the wall. And then next to them, you've got another. And so they divided the labor and each one of them had a section they were responsible for. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9 says, we are workers together with God. I want you to think about something. As we think about the work that's ahead of us, Think about your own body. Think about how the body beautifully works together. You've got your fingers and your toes and it all works together. And think about how bad it is when a part of your body stops working with the others. Think about this. What if your legs stopped working? I can relate to that. I can tell you from my own experience, well, let me ask you, if your legs stop working, can you still get tasks done? Okay, I see some shaking their head no. I see some shaking their head yes. Um, the fact is, I can get most things done. But you know what? It is a lot harder. And it takes me a long time. I can figure out things. My dad came over to the house one day uh, several months ago and uh, he got a ladder out, and when he left, he forgot to put the ladder away, and so it was in the uh, uh, bathroom. And I was home by myself, and I thought, I'm going to carry that ladder back out to the garage. How am I going to do that? And so I finally, I thought, I'm going to do it. I took the ladder, and I laid uh, a section over my head so that I had the ladder sticking out, and I just started rolling. And then when I got to a door, I couldn't turn, so I had to stand it up. And then I'd have to work it around, then lay it back over me and roll. And I did that, and I got it back out to the garage. 
and it took me five minutes and it should have taken me one. Now, what's the point that I'm making? The point that I'm making is if you don't have the body working together, you can still do things, but it is a lot harder. And you know what? There are some things you can't do. There are some things that I cannot do because my body doesn't work. Now, the church is a body. In fact, you know, there is a man in the Bible whose name is Adonai Bezek. Anybody remember who he was? Can you tell me anything about Adonai Bezek? Adonai Bezek is a Bible character. He was the king of Bezek in Judges chapter 1. You know what happened to him? When Israel came and conquered Bezek, they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Why did they do that? How would you like to be drowning and not have a thumb? They throw you a rope, what's going to happen? You're probably going to drown. Why is that? Because the thumb is the lock. It's the lock of the human body. You'd never want to run a race if you're, you know, if you're in the 50-yard dash and you don't have a big toe. Is that going to affect you? Yeah, you push off with that big toe. Now, sometimes we think eyes are important and ears are important, but what about your thumb? What about your big toe? Every member of the body is important. I want you to think about this. This is 1 Corinthians 12, and this leads up to the illustration that I'm making because this is a biblical illustration. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 exactly what I'm talking about. If the whole body were an eye, where's the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where's the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem more feeble are necessary. Can somebody summarize that? Tell me what he's saying here. Okay, that's exactly that's exactly right. Sometimes if a person's not the five-talent man of Matthew 25, they don't want to do anything because they say, well, I'm a one-talent man. You remember what the one-talent man did? He went and hid his talent in the ground. What about the two-talent man? You might say, well, I'm just a two-talent man. But what did the two-talent man do? He became a four-talent man. And when you read this, what is the point when he says, nay, much more those members of the body which seem more feeble are necessary? What's the point of that verse? Those members that seem more feeble are necessary. It's all important. Maybe you're a toe. That's the point. You might be an eye. Everybody wants to be an eye, right? Everybody wants to be an ear. And that's the point he's making, but you might be a foot. Um, there are several people in here that just look like feet to me. I'm just kidding. Um, you, you might be a foot, you might be a toe, you might be a thumb, but the point is all of those things are necessary. And when we are going to do this new work, all of those things are going to be necessary. And so each person needs to stop and think, what can I do? What can I bring to the work? And if we do that, we're going to grow. 
Why did they grow? The Bible says because the people had a mind to work. Now here is the fourth one, and this is dedication. I didn't get all these with P's, but I did get the Asian on them. Participation, perspiration, cooperation, and dedication. Look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 21. I've got it up here. It says, So we labored in the work from the rising of the morning until the stars appeared. What does that mean? Daylight to dark. That's exactly what it means. As somebody said, from can till camp. That is, they worked all day. When the sun came up, they worked all day long until the stars appeared. That's a long time, especially to be doing that kind of work. Have you ever done that kind of work where you've got wheelbarrow, you got a picture here, and you see the kind of work they're doing? They wouldn't have had a wheelbarrow. They're going to be dragging these things on logs, large pieces of stone that are scattered everywhere. This is hard, back-breaking work. This is dedication. There's a reason why the Lord gives us all these details about how they built the wall. And it's not because the Lord wants us to learn how to build walls. He is telling us how to build and how to rebuild something. The people participated. They had perspiration. They worked hard. They had cooperation with one another, and they were dedicated to the task. They worked from sunup till sundown. There was no five o'clock whistle. And likewise, the Christian must work from the beginning until the end. He must work from the uh, daylight of his Christian life until the stars appear. That is, until the very end. John 9 and verse 4 is one of my favorite verses where Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I've got work to do, and I've got a limited amount of time to do it. I have got to stay busy. I've got to stay on task to get this done. Uh, let's see, I want to skip through some of this for the sake of getting it done. Um, it reminds me of Moses in one way when he was from daylight to dark judging people and then his father-in-law come in and said, don't wear yourself out, oh boy, you better delegate some authority. That's right, that's right. He needed help. He needed cooperation. Uh, what does this mean? When Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work, it means we've got to take advantage of the opportunities we have while we still have them. Just consider the opportunities that you may have passed up in the past that you'll never get again. You think there have been any? Have, have there been opportunities in the Lord's work, opportunities to teach people that maybe you missed out on and you will never have that opportunity again? Have you ever had the sickening experience of finally getting around to someone that you knew was interested in religion and concerned about their soul only to find out that they joined some denomination? You know, the one thing that will never be found again is lost time. And we talk a lot about stewardship of our money, but I think we need to think about stewardship of our time. Because when the Lord comes again, we're going to have to answer for how we've spent our time. That's why Ephesians 5.16 says, redeeming the time. Redeeming literally carries with it the idea of getting it back, buying it back. It's like you cash it in and get it back. Why would the Lord say that we need to get the time back? Where'd it go that we got to get it back? 
and it's interesting what he says, redeeming, buy back the time, he says, because the days are evil. What does that mean? Are the days evil? God made the days. Buy it back because the days are evil. I think what he's telling us is this, not that the days in and of themselves are evil, but if you don't use the, the time properly, it is easy to engage in things that are a waste of time and that are things that are wicked, things that are not fruitful. I have thought myself about how much time that I might have spent on occasion in recreation, and if I had diverted that time and spent in Bible study. You know, they say that the, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but that the average American adult spends four to five hours a day watching TV. Do you believe that? Four to five hours a day watching TV? When you hear that, you think, no, nah, that's not true. I think it is true. Now, what if you spent four to five hours a day in intense study of the Bible? Would you be different? What if you even split it and said, I'm gonna watch TV for two hours and study the Bible for two hours a day? Would you be different? Would you be more capable in teaching people? What if you said, I'll spend two hours a day watching TV and two hours a day watching GBN as they do the commentary teaching through the Bible? Would you be different? Would it affect you in a different way? We need to think about the stewardship of our time. And when we get into the new building, there's going to be so much work for us to do. And if all of us would work with dedication, then we're going to grow and we're going to prosper. Galatians 6, 9, the Lord admonishes us not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap. And then he says this, if we faint not. That is, the time's going to come and you're going to be rewarded if you don't faint if you don't give up. Sometimes people get old and they think, oh, I've been working all these years in the Lord's church. I don't have to do it anymore. All right, I want to skip and for the next few minutes, I want to talk about some of the attacks that they got along the way. They built the wall because of participation, perspiration, uh, cooperation, and dedication. But along the way, they had some obstacles. Now, I want you to notice this one. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, But it happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious, and he was very indignant, and he mocked the Jews, and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. So now you've got Sanballat and Tobiah. Uh, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. Now listen what he says. Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up against it, he will break down the stone wall. Now, I want to go through this. When it says that when Sanballat heard they were building the wall, he was very furious and he was furious and very indignant. What does that mean? He's very angry. In fact, I looked this uh, word up to get the idea of um, anger. He's boiling over in anger. Sometimes when we're trying to build 
are though, and we're trying to do good for the Lord, are, though, are there those around us who are angry? You know, this is June, and what is June now known for in our country? They call it Pride Month. It's a sickening thing. It is about homosexuality. It is everywhere. We turned on the TV, uh, Netflix or something, uh, Hulu or one of these, and it said, um, we never stop with the pride. That's what they had across the middle. What were they saying? Not just June. We sport this all the time. And if you oppose them, you know what happens? Okay. You see the anger become very furious. Do we experience that? Uh, listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, Peter said, We have spent enough of our past lifetime. This is new Christians. We spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regard to these things, they, that is your old friends, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Now listen, speaking evil of you. Now what's the point of that? When you change and you don't live that way anymore, they're going to mock you. They're going to speak evil of you. We're going to have the same sort of attacks that they did. Now, when you keep looking, it says first that they were very furious. They are very indignant. And what's the next thing it says that I've got in yellow here? They mocked them. Can you think of someone else in the Bible that they mocked? They mocked Jesus. What did they say? How did they mock Jesus? I didn't think about that, but yeah, remember they put the robe on him and uh, they put the crown of thorns and they took a reed and smacked him in the head with it and then they put it in his hand and they said, oh, king of the Jews. That's definitely mockery. I was thinking about when he's on the cross, what were they saying to him? Yeah. If you're really the son of God, why don't you come down? How will people mock you if you're a Christian? You're, you're just a bunch of backwards ignoramuses. You think you're better than the rest of us. Christians get mocked and it's going to get worse in this country, I'm telling you. They said they were furious, they were very indignant, they mocked the Jews. Now look at the next phrase in yellow. What are these feeble Jews doing? What do they mean when they say, what are these feeble Jews doing? What's the point of calling them feeble? Okay, they had been destroyed. Will they revive the stone from the heaps of rubbish? What's the point of that? It's like, what are these people doing? They can't accomplish this. It's piles of rocks. They are feeble. He says, it's just a bunch of rubbish. Now, the, the last one really gets me. This is Tobiah. Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up against it, he'll break it down. What's, the, what, what's he saying there? Their wall is so sorry that, I mean, they're, they're building it from heaps of rubble. And you can think about this. If you built a, a wall and it's not well built and you don't have good mortar and you've got all these crumbled up rocks, 
that if it's not built well, it would be easy to push over. So you're going to have to have large rocks, and you're going to have to have good mortar. And so uh, Tobias says, their wall's so sorry, if a fox brushes up against it, he'll knock it over. Now, it could be that we'll be criticized for the work that we're doing. we got to think about that. Don't let it discourage you. All right, here's another section. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem was being restored and the gaps were being closed. When it says the gaps are being closed, that is, they would build a section of the wall, they'd build another section, and there's still gaps in it, and they're filling in the gaps. So they're going to have a, a nice solid wall. When they hear that the gaps are being closed, they were very angry. Why? They'd already mocked them. These feeble Jews can't do it. And now they see it coming together. That makes them even more mad. And it says, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. What does it mean that they conspired together? Okay, they talked about this together. They worked together. Did you know that oftentimes wicked people will work together to attack something good? And think about, again, Pride Month. Homosexuals are a small number in this country, but they have been so loud and they pull their resources together that they have accomplished a lot of things. You know, when uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 11, when they were building the Tower of Babel, do you remember what was said, what the Lord said? He looked down and saw them building the, tab the uh, uh, tower, and He said, they're all of one voice and one mind. Nothing that they will do can be stopped. What's He saying? Even evil people, if they're unified working together, can accomplish massive, mighty things. So the evil people are pulling together. They're going to pull their resources to stop this. All right? Chapter uh, 4 and verse 10 says this, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish, we are not able to build the wall. When it says, Then Judah said, Now we've been reading about what Sanballat says, and what Geshem says, and what the Arabs said. When it says, Then Judah said, who are we talking about? Who's Judah? Remember when um, the, if we go back, in fact, let's, uh, let's back up here. Uh, wow, I didn't know I made that many slides. Okay, when you go back to the split of the kingdom, the northern kingdom is typically called Israel, and it's ten tribes. The southern kingdom is two tribes, and it's typically referred to as Judah. So you've got Judah and Israel. Judah is the southern kingdom. So if we go back ahead and it says, then Judah said, what's, what's he talking about? Okay. Um, when you talk about Judah, this is talking about the people who are building the wall. This is God's people. They're building this wall and it says, then they said this. So the enemies 
are making fun of them and mocking them. You can't do it. Uh, it's impossible. If a fox brushes up against it, it's going to knock it down. Does that kind of talk wear you down? Does that affect you? Yeah, it does. And I think that's why they do it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, what's that? Numbers 13, I think. When they get uh, the spies go in, Numbers, I think, 12, and then they get to the point that uh, the 12 spies come back. Ten of them said, oh, we can't do it. And then the next chapter says, and all of Israel cried that night saying, oh, we can't do it. You see, that sort of thing spreads. We don't need to have negativity that overcomes us. We've got to keep pressing on. Uh, five minutes, he said. All right, so, uh, then Judah, that is God's people, said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish. We are not able to build the wall. Put that in your own words and tell us what they're saying. They are very discouraged. When they said the strength of the laborers is failing, what are they saying? We are going from daylight until the stars appear, and this is whooping us. We are tired. We can't do this, is what they're starting to say. And then they said, there's so much rubbish. What do they mean by that? Imagine trying to build a wall, and what you have is a lot of dirt and little small rocks. What they're saying is, this is a bunch of garbage. This is not good material for building a wall. This is extra hard. If you've got nice, huge, square uh, stones that you can stack and then put uh, mortar in between them, well, that'd be easy. But when you've got walls that have been crushed and bricks that are messed up, and you've got to build a wall out of that, after doing this for some period of time, they said, we're getting tired. We've, we've got to stop. We're not able to do it. All right? Now look at chapter 6 and verse 10. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, to Nehemiah, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Ono. But they thought to harm them. That is, Sanballat and Geshem, they said to um, Nehemiah, Why don't you come, come meet with us? We, we want to join with you. We want to have a participation with you. What's going on here? They had got concerned that really they were caught by deceiving them. Yes. So either they were concerned to try to use strategy to offset Nehemiah or maybe possibly kill him. That's what it seems like. When it looked like the Jews are going to accomplish this, they send to Nehemiah and they said, why don't you come meet with us? Meet in the valley of Olno. I remember saying, Nehemiah's answer was, oh no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And that is, Nehemiah responds to them. They ask him several times, I think three times if I recall. And every time Nehemiah says, I am too busy in this great work to come and meet with you. It says they really thought to do him harm. What's the point of that? They were going to get him out there, and they were going to kill Nehemiah. Why would they kill Nehemiah? How's that going to stop the wall? If they can attack your leader and take him out, what will that do to the rest? They knew if they could take out Nehemiah. What did we see in the previous one? The people are already saying, 
The strength of labor is failing. There's so much rubbish. We just can't do it. Now, what if they managed to take out Nehemiah? That would have probably sealed the deal, wouldn't it? But Nehemiah said, nope, I'm not going to do it. You know what it made me think about? Sometimes uh, I've gone into a new community and there will be uh, unity meetings. And sometimes what you'll have is all the different denominations, they'll get all the preachers together and they'll meet and they'll be friends and they'll say, let's work together and, you know, be on the same side. Um, that doesn't work for the Lord's church. You can't do that. You can't compromise in that way. Sometimes I've been in towns where you'll have a bunch of congregations of the Lord's church and some of them are absolutely not faithful and they'll say, well, let's just all get together and work together. Now, if you can get together and work together so that you can be on the same page and follow the Bible, that's one thing. But usually that's not what it is. What that usually is is let's get to be friends and we can ignore all these other things. And we got to be careful of that sort of thing. All right, these are some of the attacks that will happen. But I believe we've got some great lessons. We might go through and study Nehemiah in uh, detail, but We've got building ahead of us, we've got rebuilding ahead of us, and if we will stick to it and be dedicated and work hard and everybody think about your ability, whether you're an eye or a foot. In fact, as everybody leaves today, I want you to tell me what part of the body you are. So, <laughs> so uh, let's, keep, uh, let's keep working. And it is 11 o'clock, so we'll stop right there. Thank you.